Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the RBC Says See Ya DJ Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. I thought you were going to go. This is a breaking news edition of the sport. I love when you're getting your computer ready to go. I'm kind of grabbing my microphone and we sign it. You know, we discuss what are we going to talk about today? And then whap, you know, as my John Madden uh, imitation, whap, you know, uh, RBC terminates Dustin Johnson. And we're like, we we know what we're going to talk about right at the start. DJ with RBC no more all over his participation with uh, Greg Norman's live. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It feels to me, Scott, and I and I hope I'm not maybe exaggerating what's going on here. It feels like a Rubicon crossing moment here for golf. This has been the much rumored Saudi challenger to to the PGA and and the and the other professional establishment golf circuits around the world. There's been this huge over the past few months, and even honestly, Scott, beyond the Saudi thing, years this push and pull. How many golfers would be willing to do it? How much money is going to be there? We're finally getting some of those answers. The, the the live golf event backed by Greg Norman, he's the face of it, backed by the, the 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 Saudi government. They announced the first 42 golfers for their first event happening next week. The biggest name on the list by far, the biggest surprise, Dustin Johnson. You just but we loved it. Like last night, I, I may just cut in. We loved it. Like with you know, we got the email right, and you're just sort of going through and you're going through, and you're like, I don't know about you. But I did a, I did a double triple. I'm like that Dustin Johnson, right? And then all of a sudden it started spread on Twitter like eyeballs, eyeballs, Dustin Johnson. Like, weren't you the one who not long ago said you were committed to the PGA Tour, Dustin Johnson? Right, one and the same. Former two time major winner on tour. Uh, this has been the big question in golf. Who was going to join this league? How many great golfers? I said 42 golfers, 16 of the top 100 golfers, or four of the top 50 golfers in the world, 16 of the top 100 golfers, none bigger than Dustin Johnson. Some other names in there, Kevin Na, Louis Oosthuizen, uh, Sir, uh, Sergio Garcia, a lot of the, the, the European golfers who have had a lot of success over the past decade or two. Phil Mickelson, Scott, not on the list. Right. Uh, obviously you were a surprised and I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I was surprised by that. You were not. He he stepped on his own, uh, put his foot in his own mouth about What do they say? He was hoisted upon his own petard? Exactly. So at least at the beginning, Phil is not going to be playing here. But this is an economic 
debate and economic question. The, the the prize pool for this first live event is $25 million. The prize pool for the U.S. Open last year, Scott, I believe was 12, 12 and a half. So it's double the size of the prize pool for the U.S. Open. Um, th- there are hefty appearance fees here for Dustin Johnson and Sergio Garcia and, and, and the others. We don't know exactly how big they are right now. It is clear that playing in this live event and more financially, in, in at least the short term, is going to be a lot more profitable for people like Justin Johnson. But as I teased, RBC is, is cutting its relationships. The PGA Tour, unclear what they're going to let him do on tour moving forward. Is it worth taking that money up front now to potentially sacrifice a lot of the established golf ecosystem that, that people like Dustin Johnson have built up over the past few years. All right, I'm going to get into that in a minute, but right off the bat, we should tell people now RBC, the title sponsor of an event that is going head to head with live, right? So like if you're Dustin Johnson and you're sponsored by RBC and there's an event title sponsor, RBC, and you're going to play an event opposite <laughs> that I could see, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying I could see where the folks at RBC would be a little upset that they're paying you to promote their brand and you're going somewhere else. But I will tell you this, Evan, and we've been talking about this you know, tour challenge for a long time. And I will tell you, folks who have had conversations with the golfers themselves, like, I, like they take me inside the room and I think there's way more interest than this would lead us to believe. I just think that 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 unsure what's going to happen if I can I I don't know if I can I don't want to make that move you know it's too risky I think there's a lot of that but I'll tell you like the players I think they understand the basic sales pitch was hey folks you can work less and make way more like that's an appealing proposition you just wonder does it just take more time did they need somebody else to take the first steps like Dustin Johnson and absorb whatever the brushback or blowback might be because let's remember by the way by the way, this is not a new concept. I've said it before, and if people missed that episode, I wouldn't say don't listen, but if they missed that episode, I mean, you can go back, I, I, am I saying 30 years, whenever it was, but Rupert Murdoch and Greg Norman, they had this very press conference. They were going to start a rival tour. Only back then, the PGA Tour came back and said, we will yank the tour cards of anybody who participates. And that was enough to get people to drop it. So it, you know, it went away. But here we are. Like it's it's happening. I just wonder how nervous the PGA Tour is in that now once players are, you know, you say, okay, it wasn't so bad. Look, the how much did he get to play that tournament? And he won. And wait, what's the participation fee? You you know there's gonna be one eye. Many, many players will have one eye on the live event saying, okay, how'd that pan out? And I think this is why if you're the PGA tour, if you're a sponsor like RBC, which has a named event on the PGA tour and, and you sponsor some of the golfers, you kind of have to draw a hard line here, right? The, the, the position from the golf establishment right now pretty much has to be that these people are persona non grata because you don't want more people. As you said, Scott, everyone's keeping an eye on this. You don't want more golfers to say, Oh, the punishment for DJ wasn't so bad. I could do this. Maybe I'll lose a sponsor or two, but I still get to play in PGA Tour events if that's true, et cetera. You, you really need to kind of draw a hard line at the beginning. It, it's also worth mentioning, Scott, the PGA Tour, knowing that this challenge was coming for some time, has made some changes to try to compensate yeah. the elite golfers more. They, they created that $40 million 
buzz prize pool where they're giving more money to the to the golfers that generate the one, more. The, the one that Mickelson said he won, but didn't win. <laughs> yeah, the one that Tiger Woods won without uh, stepping foot on a course for the for the entire year. Um, it, it is worth noting again that the, the if you're an elite golfer, if you're a top ten, top fifteen golfer, the, the economics maybe aren't that great for you. Right now, you are the reason why so many people tune into to tournaments on, on on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. If you have a bad day, if you don't, if you miss the cut, you're not making much money. You're responsible for your own travel. There's no guaranteed payday. If if you go through a a, a month stretch where you miss the cut four straight times, you're looking at all the, the the millions that the PGA is making from its TV money. A lot of those people are are tuning into these matches to see you play, but because you're not on the top top of your game. The economics don't work out that well for you. I think I think it is certainly true that people like Dustin Johnson probably look at the way the tour is structured very differently from the way, say, NFL or NBA players are compensated. And they're thinking, hey, I, I am the bona fide star here, but I don't get paid just because I'm the star. I only get paid to participate to, to, to win or, or, or to to perform at the highest level. And that's a little bit different than we see in other sports. Yeah, and the PGA Tour did say, by the way, that you know there could be disciplinary action for folks who violated what you know what I think there has to, play to on be. Both. I'm curious to see what that is. A fine suspension? What and someone you know paging Michael McCann, please. You know that'll be the next because you know this is going to be fought in court. Uh, it, 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 you just know that's where we're headed. And this is why I say Rubicon moment because I think the next two or three weeks are going to be critical to get a real sense of how hard the PGA tour, how hard sponsors want to come down on these guys. And then also get a sense for all these other golfers that you're talking about, Scott, how way, how they weigh the consequences that people like DJ face here in the next few weeks, relative to the obvious financial benefit, short term, at least financial benefit for sure of playing in live golf events in the future. And did you see the Jack Nicholas news? I did not No. All right. So I see he told the fire pit collective website. Now, that's not one I visit. I do not know what the Fire Pit Collective <laughs> website is, but I hope Jack it's not Nicholas, the onion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Jack Nicholas, age eighty-two, had told this uh, website that the Saudi Arabians had offered him ready more than one hundred million dollars to lead the league that is now being fronted by Norman. Jack said wow. he. Jack said he turned it down. Was it wasn't interesting? Uh, that's a lot of money, Scott. That that is that is a lot of money. So <laughs> that's a lot from, of money. From something that did happen, the rival league. Now let's go to something that did not happen, and that would be the spack tie up between Red Ball, that's the Jerry Cardinal Billy Bean spack, and Seat Geek. They were supposed to combine uh, and go public. Uh, word that is not happening. A a tenuous spack market right now. So not a surprise. I don't think a real surprise that it's not happening but certainly ramifications because it's not happening. Yeah, it, it, there was a shareholder vote to to essentially approve the deal on Wednesday, Scott, and a few hours before that vote, the, the two sides came out and said that they had mutually agreed to terminate the deal. This was announced back in October. It was a one-point-valued SeatGeek at $1.35 billion. They expected to close it in Q1 of 2022. That obviously didn't happen. And, and you can certainly understand, Scott, why market forces look a little bit different right now than they did last October when the market was soaring, particularly for these growth companies, these smaller companies that maybe aren't huge, big businesses right now, but but show the opportunity to maybe become so in the future. The market has changed dramatically, especially for those growth companies. So I can understand, certainly on, on the Red Ball Acquisition Corp side, why they might not want this deal to happen. I think it certainly puts SeatGeek in a really tough position now and, and really 
unlucky maybe is the right word, unfortunate timing here. It seems like if this deal had been inked and papered maybe two months prior, they, they'd probably be a publicly traded company at this point. But but I think my big takeaway is what you mentioned. The market has changed so quickly. And and 18 months ago, 12 months ago, we were talking about all these SPACs that were forming, the, the, every, all, the, all the tailwinds that were going to help these companies find targets and, and bring them public. And all of those things seem to have come to a screeching halt right now. All right. There's always winners and losers. And I think you put out a tweet saying these are the folks who were in early on the deal, right? Did Was that you? That was me. Yeah. All right. You, early you want to list a few? Investors. Early yeah, Seek Geek investors that would have done well. You want, you want to list them for us? Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Carmelo Anthony, Nas, the rapper, the owners of the Celtics, the owners of the Dodgers, Shane Battier, Stanford Athletics. Those are all groups that, that invested in SeatGeek years ago when it was a, a, a mobile ticketing upstart. Um, I'm sure they're going to be fine. I, I, the the company is definitely worth a lot more than than it was when they invested back in 2012 or 14 or whatever it was. But yeah, certainly a, a large payday that would have happened if this deal had happened under better circumstances that aren't happening right now. Scott, a, a competitor of SeatGeek's Vivid Seats went public in a $2 billion SPAC deal uh, a few months ago. Todd Bowley was, was the head of the SPAC that brought them public. Uh, just a divergent look at two companies that are that are rivals in a lot well, of ways. There's your timing. That's what you talked about. That there's your timing. Like two exactly. Months, two months. Yeah, you, you end up a little bit earlier. You end up as a publicly traded company, and a few a f- two months later, the market winds change, and suddenly you can't get the deal done. Um, really fascinating, I think, to, to look forward at, at how these two companies, their paths, how they intersect, how they continue to compete. If they if they diverge a little bit, just because of the, the different circumstances around their 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 fundraising. Scott, a number here that, that that for folks who listened to the podcast when you were out, I talked with Corey Leff about uh, two weeks ago. We had a long talk about SPACs. One of the things that just shocks me, in SPAC deals that are getting done right now, 85% of shareholders are, are, are choosing to give up their, their, their money at merger votes. So 85% of the people that put money into SPACs originally, when it comes time to actually do these deals, are opting not to participate in the deals. That's such a shockingly high number to me. It's certainly way higher than it was if you had looked at SPAC deals about 12 months ago. To me, just goes to show how a lot of people who put money, raise money in the IPOs for these blank check companies, when it comes time to actually execute deals, are now thinking, "Mm, I don't like the economics here anymore. I don't think I'm going to participate. Well, we discussed it this morning. It's almost like, well, does it even matter that you enter into these agreements? Because you're like, 10 months from now, it only matters now if you're going to complete the agreement. If you're mutually going to decide this doesn't make any sense, right? And you brought up Shane Battity as one as one of the uh, early folks into SeatGeek. I don't know if you are this well versed into your Shane Batty and NBA <laughs> history, but will it mean anything to you if I say Shane is best known for the comment of like regressing to the mean? No, it does not. No, mean all right. Well, you'll have to look that up when when we're done with this. Go Google it. Everybody listening, go Google Shane Batty and regression to the mean. Like, which is not surprising. Like, you know, Duke and Shane Battier would come up with a comment like that when asked about, like, I think it was a three-point shooting percentage or something. Amazing. And, and, yeah, and he talked about that. And I guess it's it would be true here in the markets, right? He probably expected at some point there could be a regression to the mean. And here we are. So this did not work out for Jerry Cardinal, founder of Redbird Capital and, of course, sponsor of the Red Ball SPAC with Billy Bean. Uh, but you know what did work out for Jerry Cardinal? So it's like it's like the Seinfeld, even out. You know, you lose 20 bucks, you find it in your jacket. Uh <laughs> He is the, uh, the Redbird is the proud new owner of a pretty big brand name soccer team, AC Milan. Great transition, by the way, Scott. You're, Thank you're you. killing the transitions today. Thank you. Uh, some, some big news. We, we focused a lot about the sale of Chelsea in the past few months, which just got executed $3.16 billion 
valuation on the club there. AC Milan, another one of European soccer's biggest clubs, just sold, as you said, Redbird Capital buying it, $1.3 billion valuation there. Scott, we're at the point where in the U.S. private equity expansion into sports and particularly into global soccer, where U.S. private equity firms are selling some of the biggest clubs in Europe to other U.S. private equity companies. Yep. Elliott Management has owned AC Milan for four years, selling it now to Jerry Cardinal. Elliott is staying on as a uh, as an LP and are going to keep some of the board seats. Really interesting to look at kind of the different leagues and different opportunities here. Serie A, the, the Italian top league, which, which AC Milan just won, I believe it's its 19th title, certainly from a TV standpoint, is not getting the amount of money internationally that La Liga is or like the, the English Premier League is. So I'm, I'm sure Jerry sees some opportunity there. Just a really fascinating deal and a look at, again, the, the, the spread of private equity into, and particularly U.S. private equity, into European soccer, I think, is really early, only in the early stages. Yeah, that was an interesting story uh, in the FT, and I think it dated back uh, to like 2017, about how the two big clubs in Italy, Inter and AC Milan, how they utilized the debt markets to try mm. and stabilize the business. And it worked out well for Inter, didn't work out for AC Milan or so well for AC Milan. It's just a fascinating story. If anybody wants to go back and look at sort of you know how, how these companies look to shore up their businesses with, with debt and who owns you and sort of the bona fides and the ability to verify all these things, you know, that matters as to whether or not you can borrow money and, and do well. We should say AC Milan, by the way, coming off a Serie A championship. So, you know, no worries about relegation. You always got to be concerned about that if you're <laughs> yeah. a European soccer owner, not so much an MLS, but coming off a championship. And if you look at sort of everything that Redbird has done as in, and is doing, I mean, man, you know, part owner of Fenway Sports Group, right? So there you've got Liverpool. Now you, you have Toulouse, the French soccer team. You've got uh, this, this quality global brand in AC Milan in the fashion capital of the world. Uh, they play at San Siro, the stadium old. So there's a stadium opportunity, a real estate opportunity here. You would have to think that with the growth of global soccer, that uh, the Serie A broadcast rights around the world are not quite on par with the EPL or with La Liga. But you do now come in a position of power, uh, whether or not you try and go it alone in some sort of you know direct to consumer way. But I think you'll go with group rights and and sort of the league as a whole. Uh, clearly, uh, due for a boost there, people are starving for content. So this is where would you put Syria in the pantheon of global soccer? I mean, we're going to start at EPL, right? Okay, we all agree EPL is one. Yeah, I think you have to put La Liga as number two. La, La Liga would be number two. And do you, I mean, are we sliding in Serie A right there it's, at number it's three? It's either Bundesliga or Serie A. Bundesliga or Serie A, right? Definitely one right. of the two of them. And then the French League below that. And then pick your leagues all around the world, I think, after okay. those five. Yeah. All right, so we'll say tie for third. And uh, you know that's, that's going to be in-demand programming. So you know Jerry Cardinal has brought in sports and entertainment. He's doing the XFL with The Rock. Um, yeah, it, it, there's almost like a flywheel here of uh, how do they all, they, they have to all work together. It's not going to be these disparate pieces and, and you operate separate businesses at some point. You, you, you got to put your arms around them and see how do we squeeze the synergies. And like, I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's coming. Yeah, we should. It would be fun to maybe do a podcast or maybe have, have somebody on to discuss thinking about Redbird Capital and Arctos, two companies we talk about a lot that are investing a lot into sports franchises around the globe and also sports adjacent businesses around the globe and just how different their business models are. Cause I think you're right. I think for Redbird, 
synergies across these platforms is probably a bit more important than it is for Arctos, which is a private equity firm that is really just kind of amassing a portfolio of a lot of assets that they think are going to appreciate in value. Arctos is not buying, at least on the franchise side, they're not buying controlling stakes of anything, at least not yet. Um, and, and Redbird is, as we're talking about here with, with Toulouse and with AC Milan. But it would be interesting to think about these two kind of giant platform companies that are starting to hoover up some of the biggest or at least pieces of some of the biggest brands in international sports and how the economics of their plan, how they both dovetail and, and ways in which they, they're, they're different. All right. Now you are making transitions here very difficult because I think <laughs> this is like one of those charts where it says, if yes, go left, if no, go right. But these both work. So I'll describe why. Because we're talking about Fenway Sports Group. New England Sports Network is part of Fenway Sports Group. So we could easily pivot to the New England Sports Network and the news there. Uh, But we're also talking private equity and investment. And we're talking about the Clear Lake guys going after the Broncos. So you could go that way. Which way would you like to... I'm going to leave it up to you. I know which way I would go. Which way do you think makes for better better podcast flow right now? Which way do you want to go Nesson or you want to go Clear Lake uh, let's, and, the, and the Broncos? Let's stick in the investment world. Let's let's go with Clear Lake. I don't know if that's the one in, you, in, in keeping you wanted with, to. In keeping with the Novi Williams-Soshnik relationship, I would have gone the other way, but it's fine. Amazing. Let's do it your way. <laughs> awesome. So it, it's funny. I, I, I often tell people, Scott, I think that you do too, that, that this the sports business world is actually a bit smaller than I think a lot of people think it is. And this Clear Lake story feels like a perfect encapsulation of that. Clear Lake Capital based in... California was the primary money financial backer of the successful bid that just bought Chelsea. Uh, again, as I said, $3.16 billion deal for valuation on the team. Plus, a by the way, other I love, I love how you were doing the proper math here. 3.16 <laughs> valuation on the team. There's another 2 billion on top of to make yeah. sure that the team stays good because it's, it's a mistake when you want to call it the most ever paid for a team or whatever, because that still belongs now to Joe Sy and the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people just saw the glitzy high number and decided to go with that. Um, but, but yeah, so the, the, a lot of the same people that were involved in this successful Chelsea sale, the, the, the biggest, if not one of the biggest stories in our, in our world this year are now also involved in the other biggest story in our world this year, the sale of the Denver Broncos, which will sell, I think barring something horrible happening, will set a new record for, for the highest price ever paid by a franchise. The two founders of Clear Lake Capital are Jose Feliciano and Badadic Bali. They are leading a group personally uh, looking to buy the Denver Broncos. Also part of this group, Scott, Todd Bowley, who we've mentioned a lot on the well, show this, recently. This, this bid for the Broncos has taken on the nomenclature of the Bowley bid. Yes. Because Todd has become so front and center with the, As the Chelsea, Chelsea bid sale. Did. And exactly. even though that was that's like majority Clear Lake money, right? Yeah. It still became the Bowley bid there. But uh, we're, we're changing the game here. We're going to call it the Clear Lake I guys bid, I think that's the right, right way to do it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. With, with Todd Bowley and Mark Walter, exactly. you know, with support there. So, yeah. so the same for the same people, essentially, that were main principals in the Chelsea sale could end up being for the main people principals in the in the Denver Broncos sale. You and I would agree. I think still think Rob Walton, the Walmart heir, one of the richest men in the world, interested in buying the Broncos. It seems like it is still his race to win. But when you're talking about two... Uh, investors who are both worth $3.4 billion, according to Forbes. Also, two people who would dramatically 
increase and improve the diversity ranks among NFL owners. Jose Feliciano was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Bedad Bali was born in Iran, came to the U.S. when he was 10. Uh, I think there's also a lot about this ownership group that is also probably fairly enticing to, to Roger Goodell and, and the, the, the trust of Pat Bolin, which is selling the Broncos. Having spent a fair amount of time around Rob Walton in the past few weeks, you know, um, I'm not handicapping the race. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I'm not handicapping the race, but, you know, uh, you look at that net worth, 70 plus billion, you know, if if you wanted, I I just go back to the whole Mets sale where throughout the entire process, it was, well, if Steve wants it, it's his. And Steve wanted it. And guess what? He owns the New York Mets right now. And by the way, they're doing very well, even Mm -hmm. without their... They're really good pitchers. Um, Turns out spending way, bids, money bids helps are due. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Round two bids due on Monday. So we will see where it stands there. Are, are they best in final? Maybe, maybe not. But end of the day, for what? Are, are, are you, are you, are you going to go five? Is this thing going to bring in five? I think not. Yeah, I think you're four, four five to four, seven. I would be surprised. Yeah, I think if, and, and I think the only way it does hit that number is if, if there's someone else who's willing to, to try to play money games with, with Rob and see if they can get kind of over the top. But yeah, we value the team at, at $3.8 billion about a year ago. I imagine if Kurt did that now, he would, he would put it a little bit higher. Uh, Kurt's usually pretty good on these things. Again, these sales, there, there's not many NFL teams. There's a scarcity value that often drives the price up at auction. But yeah, I think something in the, the mid to high fours seems like the most likely here. All right. Now let's, oh, by the way, that's Kurt Bodenhausen. You said Kurt. I'm not sure you said the last name. That's our Kurt Bodenhausen takes care of all our valuations. We'll finish up with Nesson going direct to consumer, the first regional sports network. Yes, if you have the cable bundle, you can still watch Nesson. But even if you don't now, this is the first regional sports network that says, hey, pay us $329 a year. And by the way, we'll give you eight tickets to a Red Sox game. They're saying it's a $450 value. And this may be the future of what we're looking at. But give us $329 a year. We'll give you all of the uh, all of the Bruins, and we'll give you all the Red Sox. Or you can do twenty nine ninety nine a month. But the fact that you get this ticket component, you get everything. You get the shoulder programming. You get everything. So get some minor league stuff. You, you get a lot, but you also get those tickets. That's that, that's an interesting combination as to where we may be going with this DTC. Uh, and uh, it's almost like an NFT. What do they say that you know there's an added value to it, right? <laughs> yeah. What, what what's the value on the, the NFT? What, what's the utility they they say on these NFTs? Well, this is the utility on this deal that I get to watch the game. Sure, but the utility is I also get eight tickets. I feel conf- confident saying that for anyone who's listening here in the United States, a, a deal like this is coming to your to your city via your regional sports networks. I think you said this is the first. It's certainly not going to be the last company to announce its own. Over the top, you don't need a cable subscription to watch these things. My question for you, Scott, you mentioned the price here, $330 a year or $30 a month. Does that seem high to you? Does that seem low to you? What do you make of that number? Because I have some thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, if you want to compare it, I mean, like ESPN Plus is 7 bucks a month. If you want to do like yep. the Disney bundle, ESPN Plus, Disney Hulu is like 14 bucks a month. But again, these are, you know, these are diehards. Like we, we got a lot of emotion here. If you're a Red Sox fan... And if you don't want the bundle, like if you really, if all you, you watch over the air TV, you know, get your antenna out, but you love your Red Sox or you love your Bruins, you can get all of it for 30 bucks, right? You're saving money there. It's not like, I think what people have seen now who cut the cord and have to have seven streaming services to watch all the shows they like where you're, you know, you're back up the, the normal price range. Remember, I'm, I'm like the dinosaur, right? I'm the caveman. 
I stuck with the bundle the whole way through. I find tremendous value in my cable bundle. It gets me, it gets my, my um, focus group of one, uh, and it gets my wife. So there's a little something for everybody. And I think from a price perspective, rather than divvying up all these, these streaming services, uh, I'm happy with my bundle. So yeah, it, to, it, to, to that point, if you were a Comcast subscriber in, in Boston, your, your, your affiliate fee, what you're paying on your cable bundle to get Nesson is, is $5 and 14 cents a month, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so if you're doing the over the top, you're paying six times more than you would if you had it in a cable bundle. That's obviously heavily subsidized by your neighbor who has a cable bundle that doesn't watch sports at all. That only wants to watch paying, yeah, the Home and Garden Network also paying and Food the Channel. Whether yeah. he or she wants it or not. But I do think it is interesting that this is a price point that if you're a Comcast subscriber, I don't think is going to make you rush to cut the cord anytime soon so you can pay $30 a month just for this, essentially this one channel. But if you were a Dish subscriber in Boston, Dish just severed its ties with with Nesson and you have no other option to get it, I think this is also an enticing... I'm really f- fascinated and we, we have the Bally's OTT coming at some point soon. I think it's going to be priced a little bit lower per month. I think Anthony Krupe, our colleague, says $19.99. A month, but yeah, the the, the, the there's going to be some sticker shock, I think, for a lot of people here who who may even be aware of the affiliate fee they're paying on their cable bundle and kind of shocked that the over the top fee is is five, six, or seven times more expensive. Nobody at Nesson is looking for an angry Brian Roberts. <laughs> I can tell you that, right? You know, you you, you got to make it palatable for everybody at this current time. Fair. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.